Hello and welcome to the Trap Little Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Runcie. Today's guest is Zach O'Malley Greenberg, who is the senior editor of media and entertainment at Forbes magazine. He is the person that puts the annual Hip Hop Cash Kings list together, which has been a source of content for several Trapital articles. And he's also written several books about hip hop artists like Jay-Z, Diddy, and Dr. Dre. And with that, I'd love to welcome Zach to the podcast. Welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Now that the Cash Kings list is out, do you feel a little bit of relief now that it finally hit the streets? Yeah, yeah, it's it's nice when it goes from living in a in a, an Excel sheet or a Google Doc into into the actual world. So uh, it's uh, it's good to see that the numbers out there and, and uh, living and getting commented on and uh, causing controversy and, and, and all the all those good things. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that controversy. I'm sure you saw that both Cardi B and Meek Mill tweeted that the Forbes numbers are off. They don't know where they're getting their numbers from. When you see artists question the results, how do you feel? Uh, I feel great because it means uh, that it's relevant um, and that what we do here at Forbes is, is relevant. And you know, um, that's kind of in our DNA all the way back to, you know, the beginning of the Forbes 400 list of the wealthiest Americans, which people have been lobbying to get onto and off of for decades, you know, uh, and over the years, various Forbes lists, uh, you know, everybody from Donald Trump to Prince Al-Walid have, have been saying that their numbers should be, uh, higher. So, you know, um, Meek and Cardi are, are in uh, have plenty of company, um, you know, in, in that front, and not just uh, not just in hip hop. Um, certainly, when it comes to measuring net worth or in this case earnings in hip hop, um, you know, uh, definitely there have been artists in the in the past who have said that their numbers should be higher, um, and you know, such as the way of things. But um, you know, I, I think a lot of times um, there are a couple of things that come into play. Um, speaking generally one, um, you know, everybody, uh, pretty much everybody, I should say, wants to project an image of success and the higher you are on the list and the, the higher your number is, um, you know, th- the more, uh, success you, you project and, and success breeds success. So if you're perceived to be making a lot of money, you're going to get more money in that next endorsement deal or for your next advance or what have you. Um, the other thing that a lot of people, uh, kind of gloss over, even though it's, you know, in the fourth or fifth paragraph always of the story is, um, our scoring period. So it takes a long time to, to put all this together. Um, as a result, you know, we don't have sort of like up to the second, uh, 12 month trailing earnings. Our scoring period is, is June to June. Um, and I think particularly in the case of B, um, you know, her star has been rising over the years and, uh, especially, you know, let's say the last year or two, uh, this summer, she had a bunch of shows, um, where her fee had gone up, uh, significantly, but, um, you know, a lot of those shows didn't end up in that June to June scoring period. So they'll, they're, they will be reflected, um, in, in the, in next year's rankings. So, uh, you know, it's a combination of, um, you know, really like a technicality on that one and, and also, you know, everybody wants to be, uh, be the best and, you know, there's only one number one. So I think that's, uh, that's what I would attribute, uh, the, uh, the controversy to. 
Do you ever have issues with fact-checking certain things? For instance, I'm sure you saw Cardi B's Instagram post a couple months ago where she shared all of her bookings from her recent festivals. While the numbers make sense and they line up, it's still self-reported data. And Forbes has definitely had challenges, whether it's with Donald Trump and others, on the validity and truth of that. So what's the process like to verify something like that? Yeah, so, you know, basically the the methodology that we put into this is is not dissimilar from what we put into any other wealth or earnings list. And so, you know, it, it involves a mix, right? Um, we look at, you know, uh, private databases like Polestar. Um, we work with companies like Nielsen to track respectively uh, uh, money coming in from concerts and money coming in from uh, record sales and streaming. Um, and then we also look at, um, you know, the, the individual deals that might be done in terms of endorsements, outside business deals. And, and that's where the, the shoe leather reporting comes in. And, you know, that's the making calls and using, you know, using that Rolodex. And, you know, even if it's not uh, necessarily finding, you know, the number from the person who did the deal, it's finding out from, you know, somebody in the industry who, you know, who knows what deals like that are going for. Right. Um, because like you say, uh, self-reporting is, is kind of a complicated scenario. I mean, Donald Trump self-reports a lot of numbers that are, that are inflated. So <laughs> you, you, you gotta, similarly, you have to run it by, um, other experts in the field, which, you know, when you think about it, um, you know, you know, a lot of these, uh, names on the list and there's, there's 20 names in the top earners in hip hop. Um, you know, you just see a number and, you know, it, it takes, it takes, uh, it takes, you know, one or two seconds to, to type that name and number, but you know, it, it could take one or two weeks to, to make that number. Um, and, and I think a lot of people, you know, uh, lose that, uh, side of that because it, you know, it, it doesn't always show up, um, you know, in the story. So somebody further down the list, um, you know, you might wonder, well, you know, uh, Wiz Khalifa, like $18 million and, uh, you know, there's not much explanation of it, but you know, like a lot of time and work went into to finding that number and, and consulting various databases and talking to managers and agents and lawyers and so forth. And, you know, uh, to get, to get each of those. So in the case of Cardi and the, and the self-reporting and those numbers, um, I mean, those look pretty reasonable, but, you know, don't forget, um, we don't count, um, gross ticket sales. We don't count, you know, total guarantee for concerts. We count uh, what we believe the artist to be taking home. Um, so, you know, uh, the, the fee that you get, um, as a, uh, as a performer, um, you know, or, or, or the gross that you get in, in terms of ticket sales, uh, whichever way you look at it, there's still a lot of expenses to be taken out of that in terms of travel, uh, um, in terms of, you know, your crew and so forth, um, lodging, the whole deal. And, um, you know, that, that can eat significantly into those numbers. And, and that's before even taking out for taxes, agents, managers, and lawyers. We don't take out for, for that last part, um, but but we do take out for expenses uh, that are incurred on the road, projected. So, um, you know, could make some of the numbers look a little smaller um, than, you know, the, the numbers that are being posted, um, like you saw Cardi do. 
in many ways, the methodology favors those artists with high revenue businesses, even though those businesses may be high cost as well. It doesn't necessarily reward profit as much as its share revenue. So with that, it will lean towards those artists that have more money and choose to do big deals as opposed to those that may be trying to run a more profitable operation. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like with anything, you got you to gotta take it situation by situation. But, um, you know, specifically regarding touring, um, if you, you know, are an act, and this pertains more to like, you know, a full on uh, pop act, but if you're going out and you have a few dozen trucks full of equipment and you have, you know, backup dancers and, you know, all the shenanigans um, and you have to house and feed and, and move those, all those people and, and, uh, assets around, um, it's going to eat significantly into your, into your take home. But if you're somebody who's just kind of getting on a plane and popping up at festivals and, you know, you have a, like a pretty sparse, um, production, uh, set up, you know, it, it's not going to eat into your, into your payday quite as much, but it's also, you know, you're not going to walk home with that number that, that you, you know, that you see sort of the numbers that Cardi was posting. Right. And it speaks to something that she said herself in that same Instagram post. She's earning a higher revenue at these festivals and it's much lower cost as well. But she still does want to go on tour, even though the production and all that's expensive. When she does it, she wants to be able to negotiate and get the favorable terms so that she can earn that revenue to justify the cost. Totally. You know, and um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think that the, the festival business is pretty remarkable because you can go out and, you know, somebody like Cardi could command, you know, I mean, probably like, like guarantees a little over a, a million dollars um, now, you know, um, but that's ramped up drastically, you know, over the past year. Um, and it's kind of a moving target. Um, and, you know, uh, but there are only so many festivals, right? And and right. that's kind of the thing with when you look at the most successful tours of all time, if you look at something like, you know, U2, when they did their 360 stadium tour, um, the expenses on that were, were, you know, enormous, but they were selling out stadiums and they had, you know, they were playing every stadium in the round. So you didn't have to worry about, you know, blocking off like, the back 10,000 seats by the end zone. They had this crazy spaceship like structure in the middle of the field that, you know, enabled them to open up the entire stadium. And they had three of these different, um, you know, spaceship like structures, stages that would go around. So they would be playing, you know, let's say they were playing a show in, in New York, they would be packing up, you know, the, the, crazy spaceship looking stage that was in Philadelphia. And then they would be setting it up in Boston. Um, you know, another one, uh, to be ready when, when they went on there for, for the next day. So, you know, you have to think about it. Now, these are all the kind of things that we look at, look at when we're trying to figure out, you know, how much does, how much should we really be crediting somebody with maybe their expenses are high, but you know, um, you know, maybe they're also, uh, you know, surprisingly efficient with the way they move things around. And, um, you know, if, if you have, uh, if you have a, a finely, uh, oiled machine like that, um, you know, you can make a lot of money even with, when your expenses are high. Right. It definitely comes down to an efficiency calculation. How well can you optimize and turn around the process? 
Question for you about this year's cash things list, though. What surprised you most about the results? Of course, you have your methodology, but as the results came through, did anything stick out that you're like, wow, didn't expect to see this person there? Um, I think the most surprising one is, I don't know, maybe also the most obvious one, but I, I still can't get over the fact that Kanye made $150 million over the past year. <laughs> I know, right? And, um, you know, in the process of discovering it, yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's what led us to put him on the cover. Um, you know, the, the last day of the August issue of the magazine, um, you know, talking about the, the easy business. So, you know, again, it's, it's something that was doing well, but, but really just, um, you know, leapt, uh, into uncharted territory, you know, to the extent where it's not doing quite, you know, Jordan numbers, but, you know, to be even closing in on half of that, uh, is remarkable given, you know, uh, Jordan has been around, you know, Air Jordan has been around since 1985 and, and, um, and Yeezy is, is, I mean, really Yeezy, sure. Yeezy has been around for, for a long, long ish time, like, you know, whatever, about a decade, but, uh, in its current incarnation, you know, um, the, the, the Yeezy that is really taking off, you know, has really only been around for, for, for much shorter than that. And, uh, to see what, what has been accomplished in such a short period of time, relatively speaking, is just, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. His was pretty impressive. It was definitely the one that I got the most questions about people hitting me up. Like, did Kanye really make 150 this past year? Is he really ahead of Jay-Z and Drake? And yeah, I mean, I referenced the post that you had, the profile that you had done a couple months ago on him, and it came down to a percentage of his royalties from Yeezy this was a conservative number. I mean, um, you know, he, he would, he would, and his camp would probably argue, I mean, they would argue that, you know, the number should be even higher. Um, but you know, as always, we kind of go with the, you know, we try to, we would rather be a little conservative than, um, uh, like a little bit overly aggressive with the numbers. Um, and so, you know, we kind of go with what we can, what we can verify. And a lot of times, you know, the stuff we can verify is the stuff that is not just self-reported, right? It's, it's the stuff that other people have more of a sense of. And, but, you know, the, the, the self-reported numbers are often the newest numbers and, and a little harder to, to verify. But, you know, we feel pretty good about that number. And it's still, you know, just, I mean, to think about the fact that Kanye earned almost twice as much as Jay-Z over the past year is, is pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, there were a few surprises I had. Uh, the first one, similarly, was Kanye. Uh, not so much that he was number one, but the gap between him and Jay-Z and then Drake. And it's also a bit ironic because all three of those people have had beef with each other at some point in the most recent years. The second surprise was Cardi B and Nikki. If you would have asked me who I thought would make more money this past year, I would have said Cardi B, hands down. And a lot of it has to do with her festival bag, but also the amount of sideshows, the amount of other appearances and commercials that she's done. And I know that Nikki, conversely, has canceled a number of her shows and concerts. So I was surprised to see her still ahead, even if slightly. And then the third was Nas. I knew that he had a number of exits from his investments. 
I thought that that would have been a little bit higher with, without knowing the full details of those. But then I also got a kick out of some of them, too. I liked that Khaled had moved up the list once he got over his fear of flying. I thought that was timely, and you can obviously see the impact of that with someone like him that's always on the move. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, uh, our attitude at Forbes is, you know, these are the most precise numbers that, that are, you know, possible to get. And um, we, we'd rather have a, a, a well-researched number that, that airs on the side of being a little conservative than, you know, just tossing a number out there, uh, you know, based on blindly believing something that somebody claims or says. Uh, and, you know, in regard to Nikki and Cardi, um, I, I think that's just, that's just uh, the way it goes when you, when you have a, you have to take into account a full year of earnings and you know you look at sort of the trajectory of something. Certainly, Cardi has more um, upward momentum given that you know I mean Nikki just retired, so uh, we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But you know Cardi's numbers have been like the the, the amount of money that that Cardi can get for for a show or an endorsement or, or what have you. Um, has been increasing over the the course of the entire the period that we've been looking at her numbers. So, you know, you know, even in in the case of the numbers that were counted, um, you know, if you, you think about last numbers, last summer's numbers being counted, um, you know, the, the kind of money that she was able to pull in um, for a festival or for an endorsement was much lower than it was a year ago. So, um, you know, that that stuff is kind of baked in and and uh, you know, hard for, for people to kind of wrap their brains around sometimes. Um, you know, as far as, uh, uh, you know, the, the other name, uh, who, who else were you saying? We, uh, the, the other surprises? Oh, Nas, I thought was a little. Oh, right. Nas, low. Yeah. 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 Not, you know, it's funny because people see these big numbers attached to, uh, companies that Nas invests in, Oh, this company sold for a billion dollars, and da 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 da. And you know, on the internet, people are saying, "Oh, why is it not a billionaire?" Um, but you know, uh, when you really drill down into it, when you think of the amount of money that he's investing, I actually I'm, I'm writing about Nas uh, as part of my next book, which deals with um, how uh, uh, entertainers from hip hop and and beyond, um, you know, including. It, Sports and Hollywood and, and what have you uh, have been investing in startups and you know and, and getting these huge returns by investing in companies pre-IPO. Um, you know, Nas is one of the, the characters who I, I looked at and really kind of dug into and talked to you know a lot of people around him, talked to Nas himself, and um, you know in the beginning, uh, like a lot of those investments, we're talking you know um, low low to mid five figures. Um, and then, you know, eventually getting into six figures, but, uh, it, it takes, you know, I mean, even if you, even if you get a, a, a 10x return, right. Um, you know, you're looking at, you're looking at maybe if you're, if you're really lucky then um, you know, talking, I mean, depending on how, how much you're, you're, uh, putting in, but I mean, we're, we're talking about multi-million dollar return, not, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. And, um, a lot of it again is the timing. Uh, you know, a lot of those stakes he still has, uh, they haven't, uh, your companies haven't gone public or there hasn't been an exit. Um, and he cashed in last year on, on a bunch of big exits, uh, including ring, which was a really huge one for him. Um, and there was sort of more that fell into our scoring period last time around than, than this time, but it was certainly a uh, lift and pill pack. Those were things that added a few million to his total. And, um, 
another thing is he didn't tour as much this year in our scoring period as he did uh, last year, um, which you know, will we'll tend to, to increase things. So, um, you know, Nas, I mean, the, one of the great things for Nas is he doesn't really have to, to do very much anymore because right, right. they made and these companies are going to IPO or exit and, and, you know, he'll just keep getting this money. But, uh, but, you know, I mean, he, I don't think he's somebody who's ever going to totally uh, stop touring or, or stop putting out music. Cause I think he loves it. I mean, uh, in a way that, you know, I, I don't really envision, you know, um, Dr. Dre continuing uh, on, on that, that kind of a path. And, uh, we haven't heard too much from him of late and, you know, yeah. I, I suspect he'll pop up again at some point, but, uh, you know, he just, uh, uh, I, I don't know. And now seems to be, you know, have a, have an appetite for being out there a little bit more. One of the things I do acknowledge about the reporting of this list is how much work goes into creating a very digestible and easy number for people to understand, for the media to follow, et cetera. And I think it's something that can often be overlooked with this and, I have a personal connection to this because in a past job, our company put out a report on annual broadband connectivity. Each state was ranked one through 50. The people that were closest to broadband connectivity that understand understood all of the nuances, they wanted all the specific details on it. But if we reported that level of specificity, it would never have the legs of a report that is easily digestible. So there's this balance that these types of reports often needs to have. And I think Forbes has done a good job of that because if this list got into some of the details that I'm sure your inbox is filled with or people often ask me about, it wouldn't necessarily have the same legs or power that it does. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, of course, all you see is the number. You don't see the methodology paragraph. You don't see the scoring period. And, you know, that doesn't all fit into a tweet. So <laughs> uh, that's what tends to happen. But, um, you know, the, the earnings numbers are, are a lot of work. The net worth numbers are, are even more work. I mean, I'd say when we officially uh, outed Jay-Z as a billionaire um, earlier this year, I mean, the amount of time that I spent on that, you know, not counting sort of like my entire career reporting and writing books about him. But, um, you know, just at the beginning of this year, I spent the better part of three months, uh, you know, nailing that number down. And that meant, you know, looking at every single asset in his portfolio, um, talking to three to five different people for each one, um, you know, from analysts to lawyers to handlers, whatever, um, you know, uh, going back and forth with editors, how do we value this? What does this look like? And, you know, uh, the, the level of, uh, of effort that goes into something like that, um, you know, is, is kind of hard to, to, to quantify or like really telegraph. And, um, especially when it just goes out in the headlines, like, Oh, Jay-Z is a billionaire. All right. Well, you know, on to the next thing. But, uh, you know, I, I did, I did more work on that, that number than I've done on, on, you know, most of the cover stories that I've ever written. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a, a page or two in the magazine and, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and whatever it was, 600 words online. So, um, but that's, you know, that's, uh, I think that's kind of the business of, uh, you know, reporting is quantitative as, as well as qualitative. And, and sometimes, you know, they can, they can take just as long. 
Was there a moment in your coverage on Jay-Z that you felt that he had attained that billionaire status, but there wasn't quite enough concrete information to confidently say that, yes, Jay-Z is now a billionaire? I know that in his past songs, he said stuff like, take with the Forbes figure, then figure more. But I'm curious, because you say you take a fairly conservative approach, but was there a moment after a particular deal or something that you said, yes, okay, like, I can't quite cross my T's yet, but if I had to take a guess, I would bet that Jay-Z is above that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't think, let's say... um, he was, you know, a billionaire every time he said he was a billionaire or that, or that, uh, that, you know, he was worth double what we said he was every time he said that. But, um, I do think there was a period of time in his career where he was, you know, more, more prone to sort of like puffing things up a little bit. And, and I think over the past couple of years, he sort of, he's like, I'm, I'm there, I'm getting there, whatever. It doesn't matter almost. And, you know, I think he sort of became less fixated on, on numbers and, and he knows, you know, sort of the legacy that he's created for himself, regardless of, you know, who calls him a billionaire or, or when or why. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, I, uh, it, I became pretty convinced, I would say, um, like around the turn of, of this past year. Um, and, you know, it was sort of just a, a matter of, um, you know, uh, uh, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's and, and, and making all the phone calls and, and making sure that my editors were comfortable with that number. Um, cause it's something we really don't take lightly. And, you know, when somebody falls off of a, a billionaire's list, it's a big deal. So, um, we, we want to make sure that, that, you know, when they're there, they're, you know, they're, they're really, um, accurately there. And, um, you know, uh, uh that, that's certainly something that, that we took a lot of time and care to do. Right. Let's say that Jay-Z's luck took a turn for the worst and he was no longer worth 10 figures, things dropped, and he's now worth nine figures. Would you all then report on that? And I I don't see that actually happening, but let's say it did. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, every year we refresh these numbers, um, you know, really not just every year, but I mean, you know, uh, we, we have our billionaires issue that comes out every spring usually uh march march april and then in the um fall uh we do our forbes 400 list of the 400 richest people in america so um it used to be that if you were uh on the forbes 400 um you know you you were probably uh worth about at least a billion dollars now you're worth at least you know one and a half billion dollars so um, the people who are on both lists definitely get edit, you know, get their fortunes updated twice a year. The ones who are only on the billionaires list, uh, who are right, right on 1 billion would probably only get their numbers updated every time the billionaires list comes out. But, you know, if there's a big event, like if, you know, title went bankrupt, obviously we'd have to update Jay-Z's, um, net worth to reflect that, um, to, to move whatever it is for, um, in, so, uh, you know, it, in special cases, we will update those numbers in, uh, you know, in, in real time as, as huge events happen. Question for you about the influence of this list. In my experience, as I mentioned earlier, doing similar reporting, one of the underlying goals is to 
elevate and use this as a benchmark that other states can then want to up their status. Do you feel like the Forbes hip hop list has done the same? So since it first came out, do you feel like you've seen its influence in hip hop where artists are starting to take more deals or do more business deals because they want to be further up on that list? I think that the list and, you know, going back to 2007 when I, uh, launched the first one and you know we, we had the first Forbes hip-hop cash kings list uh, top earners which which we've now uh, you know kind of officially designated the more gender neutral uh, hip-hop's top earners or hip-hop's highest paid um, yeah I, I think it, it created this you know sort of neutral um, yardstick for measuring success and you know like at that time and and you know particularly in the the years leading up to that, um, you know, there, there's a lot of boasting or who has more, I have more or this or that, but there was no sort of neutral arbiter um, coming along and saying, no, like actually, you know, we're taking a really sober analysis of this and, and, you know, this is what, what we've concluded. Um, you know, I, I think it, it, you know, like it brought um, a certain, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I like to say that, that nobody had ever covered the business of hip hop with dignity um, and and regularity in this way, um, and that most of the mainstream business press were just writing stories like, like, oh, this rapper made you know made fifteen million dollars, like, isn't that novel? And and, <laughs> and I think specifically, you know, yeah, like treating it as a novelty um, and as a fad. And you know, as we know, uh, hip hop is is not a fad. It's been around for almost quarter century, uh, almost half a century, rather. And, um, you know, uh, the, the idea that it's a fad is, is obviously, um, an incorrect one, but I think that, you know, what, what we did and came along and, you know, and, and, and kind of dedicated ourselves to doing this annually and, and regularly, uh, you know, gave a sort of, um, dignified coverage, uh, that had not existed before in the mainstream business press. And I think that, you know, that's kind of dovetailed with the push in recent years by artists like Jay-Z by, you know, um, to, to come along and say, you know, to use the platform, um, to spread a message of, of financial literacy, uh, of, of, you know, of, of sort of like owning one's own financial destiny on a grander level. And, um, you know, from Jay-Z, um, you know, all the way up to more recently, somebody like Nipsey Hussle, rest in peace. Um, you know, I think these are, these are messages that, um, you know, that, that have become more common in, in, in recent years. And, um, and, you know, certainly that's a story that, that we love to help to be able to tell as well. Agree a hundred percent as someone that started a publication focused on this topic. Couldn't agree more. Last couple questions for you. Do you think that we'll ever see a list that is solely focused on independent artists or artists that are slightly out of the mainstream? Of course, Chance the Rapper is an outlier, but who else could potentially? One of the um, the things about putting these numbers together, both for uh, earnings and especially for net worth, is the smaller the numbers get, the harder they are to verify. Um and so, you know, the harder they are to get neutral sources to uh, to report. So you would have to rely a lot on sort of self-reported numbers. And there may not be um, as much in the way of data from Nielsen and Polestar and, and um, you know, or even firsthand knowledge from sort of like a lot of the industry 
insiders who we talk to and we put together things. So um, I think it'd be a, a great list, but it's also, you know, uh, it's just like super hard to verify. And again, you know, we, we would rather um, not run a list than run an uh, erroneous one. Makes sense. All right. Last question for you. I think I read in one of your articles that you met Jay-Z after you had written your first book about him and he told you that he thought that the book was horrible. And I like how you responded to this because you said, hey, my job's a journalist. I'm not out here trying to make friends with people. I call things, it is what it is. And I respect that. I think I look at my own work similarly. But let's say that you had another interaction with him. What do you think you would say to him? I'd say, what did you think about the next book? <laughs> he, uh, the, the book in question, uh, Empire State of Mind, was my my biography of Jay Z, and yeah, I bumped into him at the the Made in America uh, music festival outside of a porta potty, actually, and um, I walked up and introduced myself, and 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 he sort of like walked off and pretended not to hear me, and and then he looked over his shoulder and he said that book was horrible <laughs> and he sauntered <laughs> off into the distance. But, um, I, I, uh, and then I immediately ran back to the media tent and I wrote up the, the interaction and I called it, um, Jay-Z's review of the book. I just wrote about him. Um, but I, I ran the story by a couple other people over the years, including Diddy one time. And, and he said, he said, now he's just messing with you. Um, he's like, Jay-Z's a cool cat. He's a cool cat. He said, um, so the the next book I wrote, uh, or I wrote a, a book about Michael Jackson in between, but after that I wrote a book um, called Three Kings, Jay Z, Diddy, Dr. Dre, and Hip Hop's multi billion dollar rise. And um, you know, I, I would say I wonder what he thought about um, about that book and uh, whether or not he actually thought Empire State of Mind was horrible. Um, you know, Three Kings kind of kind of and I plant Jay-Z a little more like into the context of, of the rest of hip hop and along with, you know, his, his sort of traditional peer slash rivals, uh, Dre and Diddy and, um, you know, kind of how their three stories weave together throughout the course of the history of hip hop, um, you know, as it's kind of becoming this multi-billion dollar, um, mainstream international thing. So, uh, I'd be curious to hear his, his thoughts on, uh, on that one too. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, before we let you go, is there anything else that you would like to plug or let our listeners know about? Um, yeah, of course you can always sign my stuff, Forbes.com. And, um, my next book will be out in March. It's called a list angels, uh, how a band of actors, artists, and athletes hacked Silicon Valley. And that's the one I referenced earlier. And, um, the one that, you know, gets into, Nas and, and also uh, especially Ashton Kutcher, Shaquille O'Neal, um, Joe Montana, Sophia Bush, Iwayoki, all these characters from different walks of life um, and all kinds of different backgrounds who've been able to to kind of cash in on the Silicon Valley boom by using their celebrity to to uh, get a foot in the door, um, you know, to to these companies that are changing the face of the American economy. And I think it's really important, um, you know, for for people to see examples of of guys like Nas and women like Sophia Bush and, you know, um, people who are coming up and don't look like the traditional Silicon Valley investors, um, you know, to, to show, um, what's possible, um, and, and to maybe open some doors for some other people. 
Awesome. Look forward to checking that out, especially the Nas book. Um, I'm, I'm definitely interested in that. Zach O'Malley Greenberg, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. If you've enjoyed this Trapital podcast, please tell one friend about this podcast. Go ahead and go to trapital.co. Check it out. Stay tuned. I'll see y'all next week.